Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Acts chapter 2. We, we see here in the book of Acts, we all know this is the beginning church, the early church, the first church. This is the birth of the church. How many of you know that things are different at birth than they are in maturity? We all recognize that. That's a pretty simple concept. Mature. Adults can do things different than babies can do. Different capacities. Different responsibilities. Different obligations. Different behaviors. Different attitudes. Different responses. And so when we look at the, the church in the book of Acts in the early stage, in the beginning, and what the church was doing, you would think that the church would increase from that. 3,000 people come into the church on day one or made disciples, not just converts. But something has caused the church and prophetically so in the word, to decrease. Not in numbers, per se, but in effectiveness. That almost is becoming widely accepted that most of what we see done by the church in the book of Acts, you don't do. I mean, on the day of Pentecost, the, the very first day, 120 are in an upper room. And we know what happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, just as Jesus said, go, tarry, wait on the Holy Spirit. Don't do anything until you receive that power. And that power came through them and allowed them to begin doing a duplication of what Jesus did. Just about everything that Jesus did in the Gospels, you can find the apostles doing in the book of Acts. But in that moment, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. That one fact right there, probably the, one of the very first things that happened to the early church is not widely accepted among the church today. Speaking in tongues. The ability to speak in a heavenly language. To speak by utterance of the Holy Spirit. Regardless of its use in the church, we should have a personal, private, spiritual tongue and conversation with God praying in tongues every day. Every day. Got like four amens out of probably close to 100 people in here. 
which just pushes to my point. In Acts chapter three, are they on their way to church? They're not even at church. They're on their way to church. And a lame man sitting outside the gate, paralyzed from birth, is begging for alms, begging for money. And Peter and John show up, filled by the Holy Spirit, and say, silver and gold, we have none. But what we do have, because you can't give away what you don't have, what we do have, I give unto you. Get up and walk. And they pick him up by the hand. Strength comes to his legs, and he goes into the temple, running and leaping and praising God. Healing is not widely accepted in the church today. I know I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. I understand that. I'm just bringing some recognition to some things. Even in Acts chapter 2, here we read, starting with verse 43, I'm going to read in the New Living. And let's just read. This is the end of Acts chapter 2, where the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, church is born. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That does not mean they went to church on Sunday and heard a message. That's not devotion. And to fellowship. And to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Those four things right there. I'm gonna read you some really appalling statistics here in a minute so this will all come around and make sense. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted themselves to it. Were in it, stayed in it. And you could include, applied it, obeyed it, And to fellowship, that means they were coming together, not just for church services. You know, you, you, can't, you can't go back to this passage and just desire elements of it, but not desire all of it. I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, th there really shouldn't be that, that much emphasis for being, you know, in church religiously on Sunday. I could meet in my home and have church. I, I, I could, we, we, we could gather together and, 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 and meet at different places and call that church. I mean, uh, the, 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 the term in America, home church, is, is very normal, very common for people to say, oh, I go to a home church. And usually their reference is back to Acts chapter two. Well, you know, they were gathering in homes. Things in infancy stage are different than they are in mature stage. Number one, they didn't have churches to go to. It wasn't like they all decided, hey, let's go to church. And then there was a building down the road that had a sign that says blank, blank church or Church of God, or Church of Christ, or 
you know, first Baptist church, first Presbyterian, first church of the They didn't have that. So guess what? You're gathering wherever you can. But we've evolved now. We've evolved to the point that we can meet on Sundays. And in our country, we can do that freely with no recourse. I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to hide and go into an underground church like in some countries. I don't have to worry about losing my life or, or even, you know, for some even worse, it is being eliminated from family structure if you claim to be a Christian or go to a church. Some countries, they will banish you from their families if you do that. We can freely, rightfully come to a physical church location, gather together and do what we have done today, the fellowship and the worship, and, and our children are learning the word. How awesome is that? How amazing is that? That we can send our children to a place where they can learn the word of God uncompromised, not watered down, not with a bunch of babysitters that are just feeding goldfish and making sure they don't hit each other, but that they're actually learning the word of God. And we have teachers and leaders in those classrooms that value putting the word of God into your kids. That's incredible we get that opportunity. So it's sad when we want to reverse back Oh, like they had the good old days. Remember the good old days when, when Uncle Paul used to just gather a few people. You know, Barnabas was there and, and Peter was there and, and, and they would, you know, break some bread and, and hang out in fellowship when they, these guys, longed for what we have today. Man, I, I wonder if they sat around in those houses thinking, man, I, I wonder if we'll ever have a building we could all go to. We could gather hundreds together, even thousands. And, and we, could, we could worship God. We, and, and somebody could play an instrument. They longed for this. They longed for what we could be one day. It says that a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So far, I've already listed five things that are not regular occurrences in church. And all the believers met together in one place. Not at home on the internet watching it from 10,000 different locations saying, oh, this is my church. And they shared everything they had. I'm going to keep going. It just gets rougher and rougher. They weren't stingy. Generosity was automatic for the church. I mean, notice right now, we don't even have pastors yet who are the shepherds the under shepherds of the church. We have apostles and apostles can do a level of pastoring. But unless they have a strong pastor gift, they don't make very good pastors. 
because they don't want to sit down and walk with you day to day. They want to go start another church and do another work and go to another location. That's the apostolic gift. The pastor is with you on your best days and on your worst days. The pastor will take a phone call from someone that's been believing God for a promotion for the last three years and they finally got it and rejoice with them, hang up and take a phone call from a mom that just lost their 17-year-old son in a car accident. That's what a pastor will do. And so we don't even have pastors and all these things are taking place. Notice that these are precedent-setting events, meaning if this is the way it started, it's the way it should be done. Next, let's keep going. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, I wonder if the same people that come to me saying it's okay to do home church long for that too. Right? We want an element of it, the part we like. But they haven't come to me and said, and I also wish we could get back to selling all of our stuff and stop being so stingy and share it and bring it to you and just let you do whatever the church needs to do with it. I've had people bless the church with finance which was a great level of finance for them. And then tell me how to use it. Now make sure, I, I, know, I know you guys need that, you know, that new sound system or, or that thing. Or, you know what? We will use it discretionary as the Lord leads us and as the needs of the church come up. Here, they were not selling stuff and bringing it to Peter and John and the apostles and saying, now make sure it's used for... That's control. So you're, really, you're, you're, you're saying it's not really God's, it's still mine. So I get to dictate how it's used. Next, it says, they worship together at the temple each day. I mean, we're good to get here once a week. Back in my day, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night. Wednesday night, revival service, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They bring a minister in. He'll be here Wednesday night, turn into like three weeks. Are you kidding me? They get to the end of the three weeks. He just decided he's going to do three more weeks. My gosh. Living at church. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then, see, that's everything they did. The last verse is what God did. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Couple things there. First off, we've taken on God's responsibility in the house of God today. We think it's our responsibility to add to the church daily. We're, we're, we're more invested in filling up seats. The second thing is there was a qualification for the ones that the Lord added. 
those who were being saved. Meaning, there was always an end goal in mind. You convert. You come out of what you're in, and you become like this. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're, we're in our stretch series, and we've talked about stretching, and we've talked about challenging ourselves, and we've talked about growing in our faith. We've talked about not becoming complacent with what God has given us and what God has blessed us with, but I'm either stepping off the shore, I'm getting in a boat, or I'm getting out of a boat, but I'm stretching my capacity. I'm challenging myself. And now I want to redirect into why it's important that we have a value and a stretch. You got to stretch in your personal life, yes, but you got to stretch for this church because the world needs what we're doing. The world needs what we're doing. The world needs what we're saying. Parker Mathis needs us. That's how you should live your life. They need me. They need me. That job, they need you. That position needs you. You're needed. God is not done yet. I was encouraging our, our Elevate team this morning. It just kind of came over me. He's not done. We sit back and wait for his return, but he's not. He's not done with what he's doing. <clears throat> Acts chapter four, verse 32 says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. All of them. Doesn't say, well, you know, and Sister Joe over here was, you know, on the outside, she couldn't really get in on it. No, it says all the believers were united in heart and mind. That means that were they, they were united in what they thought and what they felt. That means that, that they weren't leaving outreach up to 10% in their church. That means that they weren't living the giving and the tithing and the offerings up to the rich people. We learned last week that anybody can be generous. Anyone can be. Because it's not measured by a dollar. It's not measured by finance. It's measured by faith. So they were all united in how they felt what they thought. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. That's interesting. 
No needy people. Because those who owned land or houses, they would sell them and they would bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Notice they weren't selling it and then giving it to the person in need. They were bringing it to the apostles for the discretion of how it needed to be. For instance, there was Joseph, the, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. You want to have a son of encouragement in your church. Amen. And he was from the tribe of Levi. And he came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. So generosity was, was common in the early church. Generosity was regular among all the other things that we just listed. So I was sent a couple of articles this week, timely. One of them I was sent twice. God trying to get my attention, I guess. And they're interesting articles. And so I just wanted to share some of this information with you based upon what we just read. And I'm not sharing this to discourage, I'm sharing this to encourage. We are the solution to the problem. Now you can walk out of here and say, wow, the church is dying, nothing's going, we might as well just all go down. Or you can walk out of here and say, I got work to do. I got work to do. Okay? First article says between 6,000 and 10,000 churches in the U.S. are dying each year. Every Sunday, between 100 and 200 churches close their doors. Talks about, you know, the dying denomination, you know, all those kind of things. I'm not going to get into all that, but I just want to read you a couple of things here. It says, though more than 70% of our citizens still claim to be Christian, Congregational participation is less central in many Americans' faith than it once was. Most denominations are declining, and donations to congregations have been falling for decades. Today, less than 20% of all Americans attend church on a regular basis. So that's just, that's the statistic for America. Around 100 to 200 churches will close this week. Goes on talking about what happens to the church buildings when they're gone. Some are turned into bars. Some are turned into entertainment facilities. Some are demolished. Um, talks a little bit about young people. If you go back to 1986, just 10% of all young adults were religiously unaffiliated. But now today, millennials, young adults, 39% don't even claim religious affiliation. Today, nearly four in 10 young adults are religiously unaffiliated, three times the unaffiliated rate among seniors. So seniors is only 13% that claim a religious, uh, un, not affiliated with religion. Previous generations were also more likely to be religiously unaffiliated in their 20s. Young adults today are nearly four times as likely 
as young adults a generation ago to identify as religiously unaffiliated. Um, 1986, only 10% were religiously unaffiliated. So there's a decline with generations as well. We don't have a generational carryover for value of church today. Um, Millennials are about half as likely to attend religious services on a weekly basis as older Americans. Uh, Simply put, church attendance is not as important to Americans as it once was. So the value for coming together, see, you have to recognize this morning, you are the rare in our country. You have to recognize today, you are an anomaly. People that still value being in church and even being in church consistently. You know, the value of of church, and I'm not just talking about Anchor Faith Church, I'm talking about church overall. You cannot say you love God and not be a part of the local church. It's impossible. Because the church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's the body of Christ. How can I say I love Jesus, but I don't want to be connected to his body? Now, I know I'm not talking to the people that I need to convince of this. You are here. It's like, you know, you hold a a parenting conference. The ones that come are the ones that are doing good. (laughs) You hold a marriage conference. The ones that come are the ones that are spot on. How can I get my marriage even stronger? The ones that don't come are the ones you need to talk to. So I recognize that today. I want us to help see a picture in an image. I started a series for a midweek this past Wednesday. Yeah, we still do that. Wednesday night, seven o'clock. And we're talking about culture and how you influence culture. Because I, I really believe a lot of us, especially as Christians, have given up on that. Like I'm good with God, he's good with me, that's good enough. But God didn't place us here to have a relationship with him. He placed us here to build relationships for the kingdom of God and advance the kingdom. I've heard so many people, you were created for a relationship with God. It's on bumper stickers and refrigerators and they write songs about it, but it's not true. He didn't need to have a relationship with you. He has to have a relationship with you so that you can carry out the overall purpose of bringing the kingdom to the earth. That's why the relationship is important. If I don't have a relationship with him, I'm not extending anything that he's doing. But he didn't create me because he was lonely. I've heard people say, he created us to worship him. No, he didn't. It's not in the Bible. Why do we buy into stuff that's not in the word of God? He didn't create you. It says the flowers worship him, the rocks worship him, the mountains will cry out, the the stars and the heavens, those things worship him. He has angels around his throne 24-7. That's all they do is worship him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. And they have to do it. They don't get to do it. They have to do it. But we get in here and we can barely lift a hand. The next article is is even worse. 
That's church attendance, and that's the, the, the local church. This one is on the state of theology. This one's real fun, and it will surprise you. This is a study done among evangelicals. So these are the ones that ought to be spot on. These are the ones that ought to be the closest. And so they, they ran some questions for evangelicals. An evangelical being defined as having a great concern for the gospel. And the first one we find is the statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 52% of evangelicals believe this statement. The next statement, God accepts the worship of all religions. 51% believe that. Uh, let's see, next one I want to get to. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Even the smallest, this is the statement, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. disagree that even the smallest sin can send you to hell. So they're categorical, and now it's only really big, strong sins that God is upset with. Uh, Next statement. Worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. Not as high as I thought, but 58% agree. So 30% still recognize that there needs to be a local coming together, assembling of yourselves. Um, The Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior behavior does not apply today. 44% agree. And by the way, all of these percentages are on the rise. They compare them to 2014 and 2016. Every single one of them has increased. None of them have gone backwards. The trend is that before long, we will all believe this. Uh, Let's see. Next statement. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 53% believe that. Over half believe that there's some things that are not even true. 2016 was 46%, 2014 was 44%. I thought this was interesting. Among participants age 18 to 34, so our millennial group, 36% believe that God is unconcerned with their day-to-day decisions. I thought that was interesting. He knows the hair on your head, but apparently he doesn't care about your day-to-day decisions. Um... I say all that and, and show you all that. I felt that it, it, it brought more validity and, and some more severity to where we're going as a church. Shannon Walker sent me the, the first article and then Tony Cook actually sent me that first article again. And then uh, he also sent me this one on theology. Both of them, I thought it was interesting, both gentlemen sent it to me as an encouragement 
to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, Tony Cook put in his email to me, he said, I'm not sending this to discourage you. I'm sending this to encourage you that you are the solution to the problem. And this is just for awareness sake. We live in the country that I believe in the last days is uh, the worst off. And that's comparing us to India, which is like 97% Muslim. Because there's a difference between people who are far from God, that have no recollection of him, and those who have a knowledge but deny the power thereof. We're running a very dangerous course. And for me as a pastor to know the direction of this church, our vision, our purpose, I believe there needs to be some, something specific about it. It doesn't need to just be we're here to preach and teach and we're here to help our community. There needs to be some reality to it. And all along, you know, my wife and I, we have felt from leading this church that and I had someone ask me just a couple weeks ago, what, what is your main thrust? What are y'all focused on right now? And, and, and our thrust, and, and this, I believe, just affirms that we're in the right direction, is authenticity. The realness of what we're doing. And as a pastor, it, it grieves when people don't catch on to that. I mean, we've learned that you know, we don't get everybody. Not everybody's going to be in here taking notes in the word, bringing your word, not just reading a nice screen behind me, but, you know, showing value by saying, man, it's important to me. I have to have the book in my hand. And, and, and I recognize that not everybody walking away from here applies this stuff and gives attention to it, goes and listens to it twice. I recognize that we're not always going to respond in love and I recognize that I can tell you that you are the healer of the Lord and God is a healer and he wants to restore your body and you'll still walk out of here saying, oh, my back is killing me. I recognize that. But I want us to grab that I'm not up here wasting my time and we are not wasting our time by doing what we're doing. The cultural trend wants to tell you that. We're just wasting our time. You know, what I'm afraid of is that the rapture won't even have to come for us to see what a churchless America looks like. We might see that before Jesus even comes. The trends tell us. We might see what a godless nation looks like. The Bible tells us that people will abandon. The Bible tells us that many will fall away. The Bible tells us that, that, that there will be false prophets, false teachers. The Bible tells us that clarity in the last days isn't gonna be a value. The Bible tells us that, that people will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. People tells us, the Bible tells us that, 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 that we will walk some very dangerous things. And, 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 and my job, and I believe Peter's assignment, Jesus' assignment, you know, Paul's assignment when they wrote those writings was as warnings. This is where it's headed. Notice they're warning of something that will happen. So as they're saying it and as they're writing it, they're recognizing that people will still fall away. That's just part of the process. 
But for this church, authenticity is what we value. Knowing who God really is. It's, it's not okay for me to see people living without hope. I can't do that. I can't watch somebody speak death over their body, death into their marriage. I can't do it. And honestly, that's what keeps me going. It's what keeps me doing this week in and week out. If one more person can get that God is for you and not against you, I'm not up here cheering you on and, and rallying you on because that's my job. That's what I get paid to do. Or, you know, if I don't do it, you won't come back. I, I, I do it because if, if you could just know the love of God. If you could just know what's in you. Can I just share my heart? When you stretch next week, it's not from me. It's not so we can put another screen up. It's not so we can buy more chairs or build a bigger building. It's for people. Everything we do is for people. God has not changed his mind. He hasn't changed his mind about you. You're still his. Still a royal priesthood, chosen generation, set apart for a good work. In houses, there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. You're still his vessel. I guess my message today is God is not done. So why are we? Why are, we, why are we decreasing when God is increasing? I come to you with the message of hope today. A message of, of hope. You know, most people would read this and say, why are we even doing it? Why are we even, why do we keep on? You know, there, there are pastors, and I talk to a lot of them, that seriously contemplate, why would I unlock the door next week? And I'll be honest with you, there's more pastors with that decision every Monday morning than not. There are more churches going through the motions. I, I, I talk to some pastor friends and Sometimes I feel bad for listening to them because I don't feel that way at all. I mean, this church, Chuck knows, this church is in the greatest season it's ever had. Ever had. And for me, success is not the win. It's how you respond to the win. Just like failure is not the loss, it's how you respond to the loss. What defines us is what we will do with what God has given us. 
That's what defines us. That's why this afternoon there won't be any cards left on that tree. Because we recognize we're here for something bigger. I was telling my wife, I think just yesterday, it, it pains me to see people so tired, burnout, surviving but not thriving. The majority of people in their walk of life, just doing the bare minimum, the nine to five, and I'm not downplaying it. I understand it's work. It's a struggle. There's challenges that come. I understand that. But how do we get beyond that if that wears us out? Most of the time, people's responses to me when I ask how you're doing, I'm tired. Or I'm good, but they say it with a tired voice. Oh, it's been a rough week. It's always a rough week. Sometimes I think that's our response, even when we had a great week. It's, it's, it's about the daily life. It's about how we allow God to use us. It's about how we allow what is happening here to impact us beyond this place. From what we read in the book of Acts, the church is called to do three things, three basic things, three basic things. We're called to preach the word with conviction to produce salvation. The church, I didn't say the pastor, the church is to preach the gospel with conviction for salvation. Number two, the church is to encourage the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Coming into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because how are you going to do kingdom work without the kingdom agent living in you that helps you do it? You cannot show me one person in the Bible that performed or operated by the power of the kingdom without the Spirit of God. Can't show me one person. Not even Jesus himself. And we can, do, we can touch on that another time. And thirdly, it's the healing of our natural bodies. Healing the sick was a regular occurrence in the book of Acts. When we get off that course, we begin to create our own agenda. We begin to create our own plan. And articles like these are written 
I'm not saying that these churches weren't putting that in place, but we got to say, we've got to see that there are fundamentals that have to remain the foundation. We must build upon them. Not reject them, put them on the shelf because the popular. Those three things aren't the. We, we, we preach, say a prayer, but don't, we don't preach conviction for salvation. A church that now over 50% believe that certain lifestyles are okay to God is not preaching the gospel with the conviction. The Bible says, Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of their sin. Now, I know all of us, we, we, we think convict and we think hard and we think, no, no, no. That's condemnation. Conviction draws you in. Condemnation pushes you away. Conviction says there's so much more. Condemnation says there's nothing left for you. It's a difference. When we preach the, when you preach with real conviction, the love of God is poured out. When you preach with real conviction, they can't say no. They can't walk away. There, there are different things that churches use to measure effectiveness. We all have different measuring sticks, and many times we're using the wrong ones to determine if we really measure up. I talked about that a few weeks ago, that sometimes we have the wrong values. We're winning at things that we were never called to win at, while we lose at things that we were supposed to win at. But I believe that these four pieces make up, I would say, give us the opportunity to fulfill the call of the church. And if, if, these, if one of these four are missing or if these four are deficient, you end up in the decline. But a strong church has strong attendance, consistent attendance. Consistently coming and showing up. Not because you're checking off a roll sheet, not because uh, of religious formality. You, you, you are attending because you recognize that the, the attendance in the actual physical service is what feeds me, and what feeds me gets stronger, or where I get fed gets stronger. Second is in giving gives us the greatest opportunity. A lot of churches have to close their doors because their giving has declined. I mean, our, our, our church's giving has increased every year for seven solid years. Up and to the right. We've, we've had some great years and, and sure, you know, you want to say the American economy. I think it's because we have a heart. It's about the heart. I don't compel anybody in this room to give. 
had people give great amounts of money and they don't even know us. Show up and there's just something about the culture that they know giving is a part of that. And recognizing that we're not giving to the church, we're giving through the church. This is just but an avenue. Thirdly, is serving within the church. A strong church has strong attendance, strong giving. Come on, our numbers don't need to be a small percentage is doing all the giving. You know, in America, they say uh, tithing is down to 20, 12% of the congregation, just over 10%. One out of 10. Not in our church, but that's the American culture. Thirdly is serving. Finding a place to get plugged in in the church. And we've got plenty of opportunities and we've got more coming. There's no reason why we should be sitting idle on our hands. There is too much to do. Because then we recognize that I don't come to church to consume, I come to church to contribute. If you come consistent enough, look, if you only come once a month, we don't want you serving because you don't have anything to give. You got to get filled up so you can give something away. If you come to this church, if you attend this church, you need to be serving someone else. You need to be contributing and saying, I came and I got something. I want to help other people get that too. Now, most churches stop there. Most churches stop right there. If they have those three down, they're doing good. But there's an element that I believe church has been missing. And for far too long, it's been the small little piece over in the corner. And today we're changing that in this church. Talking about influencing culture on Wednesday and talked about that church, uh, you know, when, when you want to influence culture and you want to turn the tide of something, you got to disrupt it. You got to disrupt it. You got to get in there and sometimes you got to say stuff no one heard before, like Jesus saying, you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and Jesus came in and disrupted culture. He wasn't there to fit in. He came to change it. And people hated it. But I've got an element here that I think has been missed for far too long, and I believe by the Spirit of God, it's gonna become a big piece of our church in 2019, and that's outreach. Outreach at this church is no longer an event. It's a lifestyle. Outreach at this, at this church is no longer you know, the, the, the bottom five or 10% do that, or, oh, you gotta be outreach-minded. You gotta love to, to feed homeless people and stand on streets. No, 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 no. It is now a part of our culture. If you're not doing one of these four things, you will feel left out. Outreach is something we will participate in. We will change and turn the tide of outreach in the local church. We will do it. We don't do outreach to grow the church. Jerry Ann, write these down. I got it by the Spirit this morning. We don't do outreach to grow the church. We do outreach to be the church. We don't do outreach to get our name out. 
You know that some churches, that's the only motivation that they get out of outreach is, well, you know, people will hear about us. That's sad. We do outreach to get his name out. We're turning the tide. Worship team, if you come. I just wanted to, I kind of felt it would go this direction. I want to give you one last verse as worship team is coming. In Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse, start with 24. And let us consider one another. Man, what if we just stopped right there? And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You know, Jesus came back and he talked to seven churches in the book of Revelation. And the one church that was the best, the one church that got the A plus, maybe an A minus, got a 98 out of 100, He said, but I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. And he said, if you don't get it together, I'll remove your candle. You can do nine things right and miss that one. And if you miss that, if you lose your first love. I mean, he had some great things to say about the church. They were doing good works. They were passionate. They were passionate about keeping bad doctrine out, coming against it. But the one thing he said, you've lost your first love. So stir up love and good works. But then he goes on to say in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Not just the coming together joining together, assembling. Assemble means to build. We're building something. We're building something here. We're building. We are in the process of building. Physically, we're building. We got to be assembled. That means put to, when you assemble something, you don't just put things wherever you want. Ain't that right, Josh? When you're assembling something, things have to go in a certain place. You can't just take something and stick it, well, this is where it wants to be. You know, the, the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. And the foot can't say to the hand, I wish I was a foot. Or I wish I was a hand. We're assembling, being pieced together, orchestrated by the Spirit of God. Building something that's going to impact this community, this nation, and this world. He goes on to say, it's the manner of some. It's the manner of some. And then he goes, and so much more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near, approaching. Even more, as we get closer, the more value there should be to stay together. Stand up with me. 
Stand up with me. He's showing us that there's a tendency to separate. The, The natural tendency is disjointedness. The natural tendency is division. The natural tendency is to go our own way. The natural tendency is to get an idea, I don't need them, I'm better off without them, you know, nobody there really loves me, I I don't really need to be connected or be a part, I I don't need to have my hand, there's plenty of people, that's the natural tendency. So what do you have to do? What do you have to do? You have to fight that with intentionality. When there's a tendency You have to disrupt that and come in and force it. You got to be intentional about it. You've got to put your mind to it. Because things happen on accident when you don't put your mind to it. But we are going to be so focused next year. Razor focused. We're going to have it in our sights. We're going to know what our target is. Every single area of ministry is going to know what, they're there, what they are there to accomplish. This is not something we can take lightly. We cannot take any four of those aspects lightly. We've got a job to do. There's work to do. There's people to reach. There's people that they think, today's my last day. Nobody loves me. I have to live with this sickness the rest of my life. God can't use me. Some people see decline and something to complain about. But I see a field ripe for harvest. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He would send laborers. And this church is going to be here for our children. We're going to be here for their children. We've got too much to do. I said, we've got too much to do. You've got too much to do. There's too much in you. The vine keeper, the the, the gardener, the master said, this thing hasn't produced for three years. Get it out of here. And the gardener said, "Give give me one more year and I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. I'll get down where nobody else wants to get. We'll dig in the stuff nobody else wants to dig. I'm not giving up on Valdosta yet. There's a lot of pastors that have. I'm not giving up on this town. I think they're ripe for something real. I think this town is ripe for the harvest. And I'm here as long as God's got me here to win people, reach people for his kingdom. VSU needs it. 
Moody needs it. The hospital needs it. Our healthcare system needs it. Our schools need it. God hasn't written it off. Neither have we. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.